Welcome to Monkey Off My Backlog, the podcast where we exercise our pop culture demons by tackling our media to-do lists one week at a time. I'm your host, Sam, and with me is my co-host, Tessa, as well as Nigel and Elise. All right, so let's just get right back to the countdown. You ready? You ready? Top 10? Are we ready? Top 10. We're doing it. Top 10. Coming in at number 10. Harsh words spoken about this choice. 2012's Skyfall. The one where the whole movie is just moving chess pieces around so that we can get to the cool adult Home Alone sequence at the end. So this is the other movie that Sam and I really disagree on. So I think that GoldenEye is a worse movie than he does. He thinks that Skyfall is a worse movie than I do. For a long time before I saw all of the other Bond films, Skyfall was my favorite of the Bond films. So it's probably lower on this list than it would be if I was making it alone. And it's probably higher on this list than if Sam was making it alone. I... I didn't particularly like the um, ending sequence, which Sam aptly described as growing up home alone, a home alone with guns. But I think, I think a lot of it is quite good. Like I think, what's his name? Javier Bardem, isn't it? Who plays Silva? I think he's a really good villain and definitely one of the better ones that they've had in a long while. I, Nigel, uh, I just refer to, I don't actually say it's Javier Bardem who plays that role. I say it's Sugar from No Country from Old Men who plays that yes. role. It's like, it's like twice removed from Javier Bardem. That's how insane yeah. it is. I love that. Like literally, yeah, exact- he's insane. That is a r- <laughs> that's exactly like the so um, productions of Streetcar Named Desire after Marilyn Brando stopped doing it on stage because they wouldn't ask who was playing the character that asked who's playing Brando. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but yeah, so I like everything after they go to the Skyfall house is a bit meh for me. Um, I appreciate that spoiler alert that they had the balls to kill off Judy Dench as M, um, which I wasn't expecting the first time I saw it. I was like, holy shit, you know, that's like that's quite a move. Um, I like all of the film at the start when you get the fake out for um. You know, we get the Bond is dead fake out where Money Penny shoots him on the train. I think that whole action sequence as well with, um, oh yeah, I remember the bit I was trying to think of where he steps down off of the digger onto the train and like fixes his suit. I think that's just great. The introduction of Ben Wishaw as Q, I that's great. I love Ben Wishaw as Q. Like he's no Donald Llewellyn, but he's definitely better than Cleese. And as well, I think tying in a villain, like the villain's motivation is getting back at M, you know, the whole like think on your sins thing is a really interesting dynamic because it's not one we've really seen before to this extent where it's like Jaws has a vendetta against Bond because he wants to kill Bond and like other ones are like Blofeld is evil and wants world domination or it's the Soviets and it's the Cold War, things like that. So I think it's an interesting villain dynamic. And of course they put him in a glass box, but like the bit where he takes out his teeth and is like, look what you've done. Look what you did to me. Yeah. What a scene. It's scary. I love Skyfall. It's number four on my list. Um, I would argue with, with Nigel's point, we did get a little bit of 
being mad at M in The World is Not Enough, which we haven't discussed yet. Um, but I think it's done much better here. I really liked M being part of the story a little bit more. I do think that the stakes feel higher in this movie because it takes place in London. And I don't mean that in the fact that I would ever say that London is more important than other places that Bond takes place in. But it's M's, James Bond's, and Bill Tanner's, like, home where they live. So from that aspect, it's closer to, it feels closer to home. Um, I really like the introduction of Ray Fiennes as Mallory, Ben Wishaw as Q, and Naomi Harris as Money Penny. I didn't expect the Money Penny twist, which I thought was cool. Like, the, they didn't introduce her as Money Penny at the beginning. She's just Eve at the beginning of it. And Javier Bardem does camp so well. He's such a good Bond villain. That scene where he takes his teeth out is gross, and I loved every second of it. Um, I just, I really like this movie a lot. I do agree that it's like putting chess pieces together. Um, I just, it just really worked for me. And I even liked the Home Alone sequence. I liked the shout out to the fact that Sean Connery is Scottish. So I like that they made Daniel Craig's Bond also Scottish. I thought that was a really interesting little parallel. I love the M stuff because I love Judy Dench, first of all. I, I've always liked her. Even in the bad Brosnan films, I liked her as M. But the thing is, is that she really has an arc out of all the M's that we've seen. Like, M is usually just this, like, plot device, right? To get to either give Bond his mission or to try to prevent Bond from going on a mission. And she has, like, this whole arc. Like you said, she's a morally ambiguous character. Like, they've never... They've never pulled punches with her. They've always made her somebody who was willing to get the job done no matter what the cost. And I really liked that they kind of culminated that arc here in Skyfall. And even though it ends with her death, which is clearly, you could say it's fridging in some ways because it's supposed to like, you know, obviously shock Bond and, you know, make him, you know, it's supposed to do something with him emotionally it still feels earned because of the way that they've developed M as a character. And I also really like that this film implies that Bond has slept with men as well, because there's the great scene where Javier Bardem like starts unbuttoning his shirt and he says, Oh, you're shocked. Your training doesn't know what, how to do with this. And you know, is this your first time? And, and Craig is like, Craig's Bond is like, who said it was the first time? Like, you know, it's just like this great like moment where it's like, oh, like it's not just, you know, the Bond girls or whatever. Like, you know, it's just interesting. I really like that scene as well. It's definitely a better scene than the um, Mads Mikkelsen version of that scene in Casino Royale. <laughs> Skyfall and Spectre both have a third act problem in that the movie could have ended at, you know, the end of the second act in both films. And with Skyfall, it did. The, the move back to the, the ancestral manor was tacked on. And it feels tacked on. What's good about Skyfall is, people say this all the time about New York, but I'm going to do it. The best character in Skyfall is London. And, and they really wanted to do that. They really wanted to make London uh, a, a character. And they actually doubled down on that because, as you all will remember, this is about the time of the London Olympics. Future Bond director Danny Boyle gets his hands on 
Daniel Craig and the Queen. And they shoot that scene together. And, yeah. I loved that. And, and but this is supposed to be, you know, so those two things together are a take on Bond back at home in London, which we saw with Brosnan's Bond, but we don't really see him at home a lot, which is, you know, like MI6 is kind of similar to CIA in the way that you're not supposed to be operating on your home turf. The other folks do that. So this is a transition. We're about to go on a journey. Let me try to get it all right on the first try. Because a lot is about to happen. Stay with me. Now it is time to talk about number nine. And Nigel, I, I, I think it's time for you to start watching Quantum of Solace because Christmas is here. <laughs> That's right. We're talking about 2000s. The world is not enough. The one where the villain does Stockholm Syndrome and Greek tragedy at the same time and Azerbaijan. Boo. (laughs) Not to your comments to this movie. I I actually meant to like fake you out before I talked about Domino and say that my favorite Bond girl was Christmas. But I forgot. (laughs) It's probably all for the better. Yeah, this is number 21 on my list. I really do not like this movie. Yes. The things that I do like about this movie is Christmas Jones's name. And I do find Electra's motivation interesting. And I remember a similar plot in a Veronica Mars episode with a rat mogul's daughter. And she wanted to... Anyway. Denise Richards is not a believable nuclear physicist in this film. And I don't even think that's a criticism on Denise Richards because I believe her role in Starship Troopers, where she's a very smart character. Protecting an oil pipeline as a plot is boring, and I don't care about it at all. That's all. You know, I thought this movie was at the bottom of my list, too, until I saw it again. And I'm just, I'm as shocked as you are, frankly. Like, I, I'm not sure There's I understand. A, yeah. But, uh, you know, I, I will say really fast that I think it's, I think it's fascinating that uh, Robert Carlyle's role, Javier Bardem, was originally considered for it. I just, I think that's fascinating. Oh, that's and, funny. And this is the Bond film that I just mentioned that has that very long high-speed boat chase down the Thames. Which is the longest pre-title sequence, I think, at least until Spectre. So, anyway, I just, I didn't think I liked it either, but I guess I was wrong. Nigel? I had the opposite happen, where it was higher on my list last time, and the mo- I've seen it probably three or four times now, and it goes down on my list every time I watch it. Interesting. This is also, of course, Q, uh, as played by Desmond Llewellyn's last film. Nigel, where's it stand for you? Uh, definitely lower down. I think maybe around a 17 on the list. Um, I think one, like, it makes me sad to think that, like, this is Desmond Llewellyn's last film, but, like, like, he was killed just after it premiered, you know? So it's real. like, obviously, I, you know, it's a horrible way to go and stuff. Uh, and a character is different to the actor who plays it, but it's really... I don't know, kind of sobering when you're watching the film to be like, well, this is the last that we're ever going to see of this cue. 
What is he? You know, he, yeah, they do plan his exit super well, though, because it's like where he says you always have to make a good exit and then like disappears down the like the tube in the floor. Like it, it is really sad because it is his last film, but at the same time, it's like that is just kind of perfect for that character just to leave. Yeah, like I mean, in, in my head, that cue is still alive where he's just like doing his own stuff where he's just had enough. Bond has left too many gadgets out in the field. He's destroyed too many things. He's like, I've had enough. I'm out. One of the, uh, they actually wrote his retirement into one of the earlier scripts. And and the joke is that uh, Bond pops out of the water and climbs into a boat and it's actually Q's boat. And he says something to him about, he looks around, sees all the beautiful women on the boat with Q. And he says, I see that you're enjoying your retirement, AQ. And he says, these are my granddaughters. <laughs> and I mean, like, I'm glad we got Desmond Luella longer than we did. But man. Yeah. So overall, I think overall, my favorite thing about this film is that it's an indirect tie in to On Her Majesty's Secret Service because the world is not enough is the apparent motto of the Bond family, which we'll get into when we talk about on her majesty's secret service but i think that's the most i was expecting like a more direct tie-in and i guess i was a bit disappointed because why like you mean why go and call that if you're not gonna like go whole hog and double down on the uh lazenby connection and yet you were upset at me when i said the same thing about quantum of solace what's up with that i am a fickle creature um <laughs> I go whichever way the wind takes me, much like uh, Desmond Welland's Q. So I, <laughs> I think it's almost inter- it's interesting that you say that that's like the motto of the Bond family because the world is not enough. Feels more in this film, it feels more like something that the main villain Electra would say. You know, like it seems like that's like her thing is that she wants you know more than the world. She's like very greedy, and I think that she's the best part of this film. Like I like the f- idea that of a Bond girl being a villain. Like I just thought that that was really like not just a villain, like a henchman, like but like the main bil- villain because you could say that it's Robert Carlyle, but he's following her directions. Like it's not the other way around, and so I I found that to be fascinating. I also really liked, like you mentioned, Elise, that this is kind of the beginning of the Sins of M storyline because she really is the person who caused Electra to become the way she is by not advising her father not to ransom her. And so I, because, you know, you don't negotiate with terrorists. And so I think that that, again, I just, I love the relationship between Bond and M. I think it's developed a little bit more in the Craig era, but I really do like that this is a through line that we see really well developed here i also really like denise richards i don't know people hate on her a lot but i just i really like her in this movie okay coming in at number eight the movie that shouldn't be the previous bond movie but is because no time to die hasn't been released yet i'm talking about 2015's specter That's the one where the villain becomes obsessed with world domination because his adopted brother said, I'm not in your room that one time. I hate this film. I hate this film so much from the bottom of my heart. I think this is probably the lowest on my Bond films. I, and I've been waiting for this one and I'm like, 
every time it's not mentioned, I'm like, oh god, it's closer <laughs> to the top. And this is the one that I keep going, one which you haven't mentioned. Uh, again, we are also surprised, much like the last film, we are surprised that this one's up here. So do go on. Uh, this is like the quintessential, th- this is like the crystallization of my problem with Bond as a series where it doesn't commit to anything it does. Like I brought up the um, mechanization of the military industrial complex and how that's never really answered. I feel like Christoph Waltz is wasted as Blofeld. And so this is going to tie back into the pin I dropped where I said no time to die, where it's like this film is revamping the stuff that was done in the old Bond and it's not doing it good. And it, I guess it ties back into where Sam was expecting after they did Casino Royale that they would do From Russia With Love and they did Quantum of Solace where it's like, you've started doing old Bond and now you're just doing it bad. Where I did, like, I was not sold on um, Christoph Waltz as Blofeld at all. And so I've seen, I said no time to die because I've seen people say that Rami Malek is playing a version of Dr. No in No Time to Die, Dr. No Time to Die. Um, and I'll be <laughs> really, really disappointed because while I think Rami Malek has the chops to pull it off, I feel like he should be his own villain because now... Oh, sorry, you were going to say something, Sam? Oh, no, I was just going to say, this is the second time we've talked about Rami Malek with you on this podcast. And yeah. <laughs> second, so what you're saying is this is another Benedict Cumberbatch. Yes. It's not con. It's not con. It's not con. Surprise. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, I had that in my notes as well. Where it's like, I if he's Doctor No, it won't be the end of the world, but like now that they've officially gone past the stuff like we've basically adapted every single Fleming thing and now it's just a planning committee, I think it should be an original villain like Silva was. I think the opening of this film is really good as a cold open. And I think that's about the only good part of the film. Um, like I mentioned, with the atmosphere, I liked that. And I liked the bit where Dave Batista comes in and just strangles a person to get his seat <laughs> at the table. I thought that was like so bad. I was like, yes. And I wish that were the tone of the film. Like, I wish it had borrowed some of the um, unforgivingness from Quantum of Solace in how the tone of this film is constructed. I also just... I did not care for um, Andrew Scott as C. I was like, why is he in this film? Because he's tied into the whole drones and weaponization thing. Because he wasn't the original choice. Yeah, I know, but the whole character. Who was? I was going to say, I was going to wait to say this, but, but Nigel, you really cued it up for me. You know, when Casino Royale came out, is this a reboot? Is this a continuation? What is the continuity? And Judy Dench is, Continued casting makes it weird. But if you ignore that, this is Casino Royale was a straight up reboot. It is like Kelvin versus Bond, whatever that is. I don't know. It's a different Bond. It's a it's a reset. It's a hard reset. And I continued to believe that. And basically what this does is just tells the whole story. And that story is going to end with no time to die. That's what I think Spectre does. Like watching these movies in order, I realized you've told us the whole story again. You've told us the story all the way through. I halfway believe that we're almost done with Bond. Period. 
to the extent that I would not be shocked to find out. And by the way, with Eon Productions having so much trouble keeping the story going with those lags, I find it hard to believe in the last 18 months they haven't already cast the new Bond, haven't already written the new movie, that a lot of stuff hasn't been pushed forward because they keep getting burned and they hate it. I kind of believe that the next Bond is the last Bond, and I further believe it's not out of the realm of possibility that in a shocking twist, Daniel Craig's going to play us out with one more Beyond No Time to Die. And I think that for the reasons you talked about, Nigel. Elise, what do you think of Spectre? So this is number 10 on my list. I do feel that it benefits for me on rewatch away from the is it Blofeld, is it not Blofeld, Star Trek Into Darkness of it all. Like Watching it away from that kind of makes it better because I don't care about whatever the marketing or whatever they say. Although I don't l- enjoy when... The production lies to us and and says, nope, that's not Khan or whatever. The Day of the Dead Festival set is absolutely stunning to me. I love that. I love Bond's skeleton suit. I love that whole whole scene, even with the ridiculous um, helicopter part and Bond destroying an entire city block, which is horrible. Did Did you hear the musical cue when the helicopter flipped over? Because they were they were alluding to that stupid scene in The Man with the Golden Gun. There is a sound cue that is meant to emulate the, sli- the stupid slide whistle. I don't think I realized that. I'll have to re- go back and rewatch. How many women has Bond slept with whose lovers, fathers, brothers he's killed? Is a question Ooh. that I don't actually have seven. <laughs> There's always, like, he's... It's just wild. I do like that Bill Tanner is like more in this movie. Um, I enjoy the scenes where Q, Bill Tanner, um, Mallory, or kind of, and um, Monty Penny are working together to help Craig, even though they're technically not supposed to. The scene where Craig is in that like torture chair is really funny to me because this movie came out the same year as The Force Awakens. And some people might know that Daniel Craig was a stormship, a stormtrooper in The Force Awakens, and he is literally the stormtrooper that is watching Rey be in the torture chair. So I found that to be really amusing. <laughs> I I like Andrew Scott a lot as an actor, and I love him as Hot Priest in Fleabag, and I even love him in Sherlock. But because of his role in Sherlock, I was like, I do not trust this man from the second he was on screen. And therefore, any twist involving his character was completely expected from me. So that's really my one con of this movie. Just you reminded me of another thing I hate about this film in terms of the Bond. <laughs> in terms of the Bond girl, and this is like... <laughs> Trigger warning for some upsetting stuff. The fact that um, Monica Bellucci, when Bond goes to Italy and attends her husband's funeral, kills a bunch of guys in front of her and like makes advances on her. And despite her like explicitly not giving consent, he, I, yeah, I really hate that. So I really like 
this movie because I felt like all of the characters made sense in this movie. Like there were very few characters that didn't have something going on in their lives. Like even Ralph Fiennes M, who I mean, Judy Dench will always be my fave, but I really like that he feels like somebody who has field experience. He's not just some old person sitting in an office. And I really like that Money Pen. We get to see Money Penny's interior life a little bit. We get to see Q's interior life a little bit. I I just felt like this was a pretty solid story. And there's a lot of callbacks to things in Bond, you know, like, but but it, it does it without being too. Like in your face, like elbowing you, going, huh, huh? Like it, like there's the slide whistle sound effect. The train is very like the the fight scene in the train is very reminiscent of From Russia with Love. You know the cat, obviously. I always sucker for the cat, and I love that the cat jumps on his lap when he's in the torture chair. Like it's like, I I don't know. It just cracks me up. <laughs> it's just like, oh yeah, like I'm part of this too. And the the like. Uh, the retreat high in the mountains in Austria is very on Her Majesty's Secret Service. Like, uh, even Dave Batista's yeah. character, who apparently Dave Batista, like, there's some stuff with him in this movie, too. I, I think his he's great in this movie, but he's very, even though he doesn't have the teeth, he's very Jaws adjacent because he's silent except for one word. And he has the, the like, metal fingernails which are very like Jaws-like. And I appreciated that. I liked Christoph Waltz as Blofeld. I thought it was an interesting take on this character i it is an origin story kind of because we'd never seen this version of blofeld before so i would have been interested to see him them do more with him as a character don't we see him get his scar for the first yeah. time in this movie yeah and we went back and the looked origin at, of the scar we, we went back and looked at the original blofeld scar and they did a really good job at matching it oh that's cool all right it's so a- this is it's time for part two of my three-part podcast within a podcast Bond actors in peril. Uh, this one is brought to you by Daniel Craig and Dave Batista. So during the during one of the scenes where Dave Batista throws Daniel Craig, Daniel Craig said, "You need to throw me a little bit harder." And so he did, and that's why he had to take two weeks off to have knee surgery. But that's okay because he punched Dave Batista in the nose and broke it. And he felt so bad. Dave Bautista was like, it's not a big deal. Popped it into place, blew out the blood, and kept going. <laughs> and that is episode two of... fucking Eunice. That is episode two of Bond in Peril. Uh, <laughs> all right. We are so lucky to have uh, Dave Bautista in our In our lives, lives period. Hopefully he's... <laughs> you are so tell me that, Please tell me that the... Uh, what you mentioned, Tessa, that there was some stuff... In with him in that film, that it's not like he's secretly an awful human being. No, no, no. I was. That's what I was wondering I was, as no, well. I was referencing <laughs> the stuff that Sam was going to talk about, but then Sam made a motion to let me know that she, he was going to talk about it. So that's that's why that was. No, as far as oh. I know, Dave Batista is an amazing human being. Oh, thank God! <laughs> right? Yeah, I was worried too. <laughs> it would give me another reason to hate Spectre. Then <laughs> <laughs> I think you have enough. Coming in at number seven, we have 1989's License to Kill. The one where we find out you can mix cocaine with gasoline and everything will work out just fine. So I have this a lot lower on my list. Um, License to Kill is number 19 on my list, but I still really like it. Um, As I said earlier, I am a sucker for anything having to do with Felix, and this movie is very Felix-centric. I love that Bond is in his wedding, so this movie is very personal. 
Um, I think Pam Bouvier is maybe the cutest of all the Bond girls. I love her short hair, and I think it's really funny when she gets jealous in the movie when James is giving attention to Lupe instead of her. Um, I find Benicio Del Toro's performance in this movie to not be great. I don't enjoy it. He's so attractive, though. Like, young Benicio Del Toro is a very attractive person. I completely agree with you, but um, I just don't like how he's acting. And Wayne Newton is playing a huge creep. <laughs> and so that's good. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I just, it wasn't my favorite. Nigel, how do you feel about A License to Kill? Uh, that's That's how I feel. <laughs> this this one suffers from a really bad case of Timothy Dalton looking old syndrome. I don't know. He looks really really old in this one compared to like any of the other ones. And it's I don't know, it's really off-putting for me to um it's really off-putting for me to watch. But I think in terms of like, you know, I like lighter um, like you said, Elise, it's really fun that Bond is at his wedding. But again, this is just going to tie into um, <laughs> On Her Majesty's Secret Service, where it's like she gets married to Lighter and then she gets murdered shortly afterwards, very much like in On Her Majesty's Secret Service. And it's interesting to see how, I don't know, like I think it's interesting to see how they, they play with that with a later Bond, where it's not Bond explicitly that has to go through the grief. You know, it's it's someone who's been, like, a really, really good friend to Bond, especially in that continuity, you know, from... I had forgotten that he was in Doctor No, but, like, I'm thinking of, you know, all the stuff that he does to help Bond out in, in Goldfinger. Um, you know, he's, he's such a staunch ally that having... Uh, what's her name? Delia? <sighs> something like that. Delia, Della, something maybe... Um, having her get murdered and having Felix uh, put in that position, it, I think it's the most interesting part of the film for me. One thing I feel about that, though, is like there's scenes in the movie where Felix is smiling and laughing, and I just feel like if his wife, his like new wife was just murdered, that those scenes would have should have been played a little bit yeah it's like later in the movie like it's like oh okay everything's fine now and yeah you wouldn't expect felix to be like i don't know you i absolutely agree with you that to me was the one drawback of this movie was the end where it was like felix was smiling and laughing and it's like oh okay like this is weird but i never said it was like well done but it's interesting to see (laughs) no your comments just reminded me of that i really like the off the grid bond of it like because this is a movie where m explicitly tells him not to go after the murderers of felix's bride and at the time he thinks felix because felix is also very badly hurt at the beginning of this film but he ignores all of that and goes goes anyway like he's like no i'm gonna i'm gonna get justice for felix and his and his wife i i like that i think that's different i think it breaks the bond mold a little bit in a way that's interesting and that we hadn't necessarily seen before i really love timothy dalton as bond because i think he i think he balances the perfect amount of comedy but without being too over the top like he's suave and yet very comedic at the same time i 
also really love that as soon as he goes off the grid, M is like, all right, put it, you know, like we're going to track down 007 and like kill him or whatever. And like at like Q is immediately on a flight to go help Bond, which is, I think, great. Like this idea that Money Penny and Q are on Bond's side, like they will always be on Bond's side over M's side. And I just I find that to be just great. Like their team Bond all the way. Yeah, that's a dynamic that the new films have really captured. Like, if there's anything in terms of the spirit of Bond, it's, like, that Bond has allies no matter how dire a situation he is. Like, you know, in um, Spectre, one of... I'm willing to hand Spectre this. It's that, you know, he's... Stop celebrating, Sam. Stop celebrating. (laughs) (laughs) He's told explicitly, stay away from this, and then... Bond is just like, you know, you should help me, Q. And Q's like, fine, I guess. Just, yeah, I have cats I need to look after. Yeah, but then there's that that great moment in the in the Sky Tram that is, that is a reference to two different Bond movies at once where Q simultaneously sees the person getting in to threaten him and pulls the data off the ring and realizes that Bond is right. Bond is a jerk but he's our jerk. And that's the moment where Q really realizes it. And that ties very well in with that. Probably, we don't really realize that Llewellyn, uh, Llewellyn's Q feels that way, but we know that he does by the time we get to this film. So this was, this was the first, uh, Quantum of Solace was not the first one. This was the first film to be affected by a writer's strike because we lose Mybaum's influence Later on in the, the screenwriting process, he was the scribe of record and a strike took him out. Uh, we also have, uh, as Nigel mentioned, kind of an indirect reference to Honor Majesty's Secret Service. This has the very, very, very famous line, he disagreed with something that ate him. And, uh, you know... To, I forgot about that. Yeah, what a great it's line. A, it's a good one. Yeah, to, to Nigel's point too... It's ironic because, you know, when Connery left the first time, that's when Adam West was a possibility. That's when Roger Moore came into the picture. That's when Timothy Dalton came into the picture. But they said he was, and this is true, too young. So again, it's that, it's that with Roger Moore, with Timothy Dalton, and Pierce Brosnan, right bond, wrong time, you guys. I really like these movies. I love the grittier I love the grittier bonds of Timothy Dalton and Daniel Craig because that's what Ian Fleming wrote. That's why. You can turn him into a different character. They certainly did with Jack Reacher, Tom Cruise. But I mean, you can do that <laughs> if you want. It's called artistic license. But if you want to make Bond true to Ian Fleming, you need Timothy Dalton or you need Daniel Craig. The other ones are not as good in that. Um, that doesn't mean he's my favorite Bond, but I really do like that. And I, I just, I love this movie. But, but hold on, hold your, hold your thoughts on the Timothy Dalton era because at number six, we have The Living Daylights from 1987. The one where we find out that you can go sledding on a cello and everything will work out just fine. Uh, you see what i did there they were both that all right there's only two because because he only did two and that's bad 
Nigel, what do you think of the living daylights? Not a fan. <laughs> Surprise. I think, yeah, I'm not really a fan of Timothy Dalton at all as Bond. And so, like, Living Daylights, it it doesn't really do anything for me. Like, I appreciate kind of the uh, the wackiness of some of the set pieces. Like you mentioned, the uh, cello slide and stuff. Um, and, like, uh, Lighter is in this one. It's great. Um, the Aston Martin makes a return. But also, it's just like... This is a, a, a what I would call a non-film, which is, um, it's just like, it happened, but I'm not particularly pushed. I didn't go in and come out going, well, this is a bad film, and I didn't come in to it and go, uh, like, and at the end go, oh, this is a good film. It's like, it's one I'm entirely ambivalent on. I, like, I, I realize I don't have a lot of, like, interesting theory to say about it, and I'm sorry, but it's just like vibes... It did not pass the vibe check, but it did not fail it either. All right. And and of course, Elise, there is the Afghanistan of it all. <laughs> um, <laughs> yes. I don't... This is a middle-of-the-road bond for me. I have it at number 11. Um, I didn't really have any notes. Similarly to Nigel, I don't have that many notes, except that Timothy Dalton is dreamy, and he might have the best eyes of all the Bonds. I know that's not related to the movie, but um, I did find it was fun um, in a twisty-turny kind of way, where, like, at I feel like this movie had more, like, this person was on one side and then on the other side. You didn't know who people's allegiances as um, easily as in some of the other movies. But yeah, I don't really remember why I liked it or didn't like it. So I also just don't really have much to say about this one. I love this movie a lot. And this is one of the ones that convinced me to go back and watch the other Bonds. Uh, And we didn't mention this, but Aha's The Living Daylights is also a very good Bond theme. But I... Totally. I feel like this movie, again, it kind of dials back on the camp, but it's still really funny. Like his understated like type of humor, I think really works for this particular iteration of Bond. And I love the scene at the very beginning. There, there's a whole long sequence where he scares the living daylights out of the Bond girl, right? Who's trying to like fake an assassination, which is fun. But then he like, they escape from like the Soviet Union via like a pipeline. And like, there's like a Q yeah, gadget Yeah, Trans-Siberian pipeline. Yeah, it's like a really fun sequence that I like really enjoyed. I really liked the relationship between him and the Bond girl because he's trying to get her out like of the Soviet Union and that's where the cello comes in. And I also thought that the stakes were really interesting for this one because like License to Kill, this feels a lot more personal because it's very spy versus spy and it's about like trying to prevent a list of secret agents from getting out. And so he's like trying to defend like his colleagues. And I just thought that that was a really interesting take on this particular bond. It wasn't about world domination as much as it was about like protecting the Secret Service itself. The the Living Daylights bit is from a short story where Bond elects not to use his license to kill, but instead shoots to scare. And his comment is, I scared the Living Daylights out of her. She'll think twice before trying this again. Using that in the film here, he's criticized by the person that he's working with, which is an interesting interpolation of what happens later 
with the comment, a license to kill is also a license to not kill. So we ended up kind of on different places there. This is a really good time to have a conversation about some very important business, which is, of course, who is the best Bond? Nigel thinks it's not Timothy Dalton. This this is going to be a monster to edit. It's going to be four episodes. It's going to be great. We only have a two-week window because I wanted to line it up with No Time to Die, but we're already taking one of the weeks away from what immediately comes after this. Spooktober! <laughs> so we're Can only doing out- three weeks of... Spooktober! It's going to so get like- so, like, we finished Bond, and we bought tickets for No Time to Die, but we are immediately starting to watch Halloween stuff, like, this week. Right. So, all are right. you guys going opening night for No Time to Die? Yes, because it actually kind of worked out in our favor that the movie is so long that to cram four showings in on two screen or two showings each on two screens, they had to do a 4 p.m. They had to do a before everybody's done I've with work that showing. I've noticed too. So, so we're going. That one. So right now we have tickets to that. If yeah. it becomes too populated, we'll we'll cancel that and try again on Friday morning. Yeah. Like we'll. I'm going. That's kind yeah. of our mo right now is to just keep. We live in a rural area technically, so it's not so bad. So basically, right. we just are waiting and seeing, and we'll buy tickets. And if it's too crowded, be like, nope, and just. Yeah, I wanted to do the, real quick, I wanted to do the Dolby Cinema one because I have an AMC A-list, so it's the same, it's like included in my membership, but that one's at 7.45 p.m. and my dad goes to bed so early, so they're, like, I'll stay up for James Bond, but he will not, so we're doing a 6.30 at a regular screen, but it'll still be recliner seats, so I won't feel as bad, like, if people are next to me, but I'll just wear my mask the whole time anyway. Yeah, we saw Black Widow in a full theater, and we were like, nope, nope. Yeah, no, 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 I was a little no. uncomfortable with that, too. Um, it wasn't as bad coming in, because everyone comes in at different times, but like right before everyone exited the theater, I was like, there's too many people. But I also saw Shang-Chi in the same situation, but Chicago had a mask mandate, so it didn't feel as bad. No, just the last film I saw before COVID started was um, Birds of Prey or The Fabulous Emancipation of One Harley Quinn. And then the first film... Same. The first film I saw when theaters were open back up here in Ireland was Tenet. And it was really disappointing. Gross. <laughs> I haven't seen it yet. My last film was Portrait of a Lady on Fire. Oh, nice. Before COVID. I had seen Bop already. And what a bop it was. Bop. It was. I had a lot of fun. All right. I did the perfect segue to Nigel talking about the best bonds with Timothy Dalton, and I stand by it. But before, Nigel, before you start talking, I promised you, Tessa. And now it's time. Rank that list. Makes me so happy. Your audio cut out, so all I heard was Tessa say, rank, and then. Just like so, she she excitedly yelled, "Rank that list!" Yeah, but it was so funny because it was just rank, and then her shaking her hands. Yeah, that's what I heard too. <laughs> so actually, we're gonna we're gonna talk. We're gonna we're gonna. Okay, we're gonna talk about the doctor, the character from a doll's house. Yeah, sorry. Go ahead. So, my least favorite Bond is Timothy Dalton. I think. I think 
every I think every role that Timothy Dalton is in, like post Bond, is better than him playing Bond. I think yeah. I don't know. I'm I'm maybe that's because I saw him in a bunch of other stuff which I preferred like before I watched his Bond films. I think the first thing I saw Timothy Dalton in was like um Hot Fuzz, you know where he plays uh Skinner. I yeah. One of us. Mm, exactly. For the good of the town. The greater the good. Greater good. Sorry. So I think he's at the bottom of my list. Then I'm going to go Pierce Brosnan. Mainly because my mixed feelings um, about Pierce Brosnan being a man from Navin. Are you aware of the Irish comedian Tommy Tiernan? No. Oh, okay. Well, um, you probably haven't seen Dairy Girls, have you? Not yet. Ah. Not yet. Ah. Okay, well, that, that's like his most acting-y thing that he's done but anyway he's from the same area of the country the same town as pierce brosnan is and it's such a weird disconnect just to consider that's a little bit of trivia but yeah i have mixed feelings about him mainly because i have mixed feelings about pierce brosnan as an actor so then i'm gonna go i'm gonna go sean connery i think at number three this is like this is really a toss-up um between number three and number two as to where i put them sean connery yeah, like, I mean, he's the original Bond. He's got some really good moments. He's got some really good films. Like, some of my favorite Bond moments have come from Connery films, but I think a lot of them drag. And I think that Connery, I don't know, like, in the later ones, he just stops caring as much about it and just he's just carrying it, especially, like, when he comes back after Lazenby was there or it's just like, why are you here? Yeah. Money. Money, exactly. Uh, what is it? An eighth of the profits of the film? Yeah, yeah that's what they offered. And like two million pounds or something. Yeah. I, one of the things, um, you know how you were mentioning the uh, the scene that they used to test all bonds and it's like that's how they know whether that bond will be the correct yeah. bond for like going forward. I think one of the, like a story which I find really funny and i don't know whether it's apocryphal or not but it's like sean connery went to the casting and uh ian fleming was there and like you know it was fairly okay and then they were unsure about it or whatever but then as he was leaving they watched him leave and uh, fleming said no that's him that's bond and they're like how do you know and it's like because he walks like a puma which is really weird to consider because that would be on all fours running but (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, so number two, I'm going to go with uh, Daniel Craig. I'm going to go with Daniel Craig because I feel like I feel like I vibe with the tone of his films an awful lot. Like where I had with with Connery, a lot of my favorite moments have come from Connery films. I feel like a lot of my favorite films have come from Craig films. So like on the whole, I think his collection of Bond films is the best that there is. Uh, in terms of like multiple films that is in Timothy Dalton. Um, and this is all an excuse for me to say that my number one bond is George Lazenby. <laughs> Sam is not surprised in the slightest because I think we've, Sam and I have had this conversation at least five times on Twitter alone. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, did you mention Roger Moore? Was he on your list? No. Yeah. I've ju- no, I just, I'm not putting Roger Moore on the list. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Oh, drama. Oh, geez. drama, drama. So, 
Uh, wow. So I thought there was a lot wrong with our, I thought there was a lot of disagreement with our list, but apparently we feel the same way about Roger Moore. Elise, would you like to explain why Nigel is wrong and how? Please don't. My, my fragile heart can't take it. <laughs> His pickle uh, fragile heart. Now I know to be extra mean in my comments. Um, I, so I want to preface this by saying I genuinely love every single Bond. So being last on my list or is not a, it's not a bad thing. It's just being least first. So yeah, a hundred percent. So my number six is actually the same. It's Timothy Dalton. And I honestly think it's mostly from being the, even before this, and I still feel this way, being the least connected and familiar with his movies in general. So it's really just I have not connected with his movies as much as I have with the other ones. And as I said earlier, he has the prettiest eyes of all of the Bonds. Um, Next, I would say... <laughs> I'm just like laughing that my rankings are going to be all superficial comments. They're not all going to be, but that's okay. But if they were, that would be okay. Yeah, it would be okay. We all um have our things. So number five is George Lazenby. Um, I very much like on Her Majesty's Secret Service. I find George Lazenby to be like a funny just person in general. I know you guys talked about it on Monkey, but I just love that Becoming Bond documentary. Um, I just, this is more about that documentary, but he's such an unreliable narrator that it's just very entertaining. Um. <laughs> But yeah, I I do appreciate that he had this attitude of, okay, I don't want to be caught doing this for the next 10 years of my life, um, so I'm just going to peace out of here. Um, number four is Pierce Brosnan, which I have to fully admit that I accidentally forgot to put on my list and did just now when Nigel mentioned Pierce Brosnan. <laughs> So, sorry to that man. Uh, I like Pierce Brosnan a lot. I think that he has... There's that... He does, like, the silly joke part and really well. Um, Those movies are definitely some of the sillier ones. He was also my first Bond, so I... Even though those movies aren't all my favorite... I just, you know, I'm a little nostalgic for him. So Roger Moore is actually number third for me. I did not like any of the Roger Moore. I, okay, that's not true. I, the first time I watched these movies, I only liked two Roger Moore films. And I watched them again. And I just, he's so good at the camp. Yes, he completely, for the, I think honestly for his last three films, he's too old. Um, but I still really enjoy his performances, um, but I can't think of Roger Moore and not think of Lost in Translation um, when Bill Murray's doing that, like, whiskey commercial, and they're talking about him being James Bond, and he was, like, trying to do, like, a Connery thing, and they're like, no, Roger Moore. <laughs> so that's also probably association. Uh, number two is Daniel Craig for me. I agree with Nigel that Daniel's movies as a whole are the most are he has the best he has the most like good Bond movies of all of the actors I think he does a really good job of being that like 
we haven't really talked about Casino Royale yet, but, like, he's, like, that blunt instrument that, like, gets things done, and there is a grittiness, but he also does the emotional scenes pretty well, even when Bond himself is trying to pretend that he's okay, you can tell when he's not. And uh, my number one is Sean Connery. He's just classic. He was first. I really love those early, those first four movies. I love all of them. I just, I think of Bond and I see his face. That's all. And that's fair. I mean, I think that there is something to be said with association, for sure. Mine is now for something completely different. My least favorite is Moore, and it's mainly because I think he's too old for most of his movies. I mean, and again, I'm like Elise. Like, I like all of them in different ways. I think they all bring something different to the character. So it's not an insult to be last on my list. I just, it really distracts me how old he is in in most of his movies, for sure. And that's, that's why he's on the bottom. Pierce Brosnan is next. As I said, I think he does a pretty good job about certain elements of Bond, but... He's really a Bond in the mold of Roger Moore, and so I think that's why he's more towards the bottom of the list, is that he seems like he's trying to do more a lot of times, and it just kind of comes across as meh to me. Do you wish he had done more to stand out? (laughs) I was going to make the same joke. (laughs) There it is. Uh, Number, oh, the next one. Hold on. Number four is Sean Connery. So he's a little bit lower on the list, mainly because, like Nigel said, I feel like he's phoning it in near the end of the movies. And also because, I don't know, I just I, I just don't, I don't feel like Connery actually comes across as suave as I like Bond to be. Like, sometimes he just seems a little bit more... I don't know, like that football player type of vibe off of him than I would like him to be. But again, like Elise said, he's classic Bond as well. So, I mean, I could see both sides of that. Number three is Craig. Craig, I think of all of the Bonds, does a really good job, like you said, Elise, of being the most emotionally conflicted. Like he does a really good job of making us believe that Bond has inner emotions besides like coolness and suaveness <laughs> like like all the other bonds like don't necessarily do a great job of making bond a more than one-dimensional character and craig really does that i think in a lot of ways or at least he does it in the most consistent manner i think because i think that number two lazenby um for me also does that really well just maybe because he only has the one film it's hard to to track him across multiple films the way that you would craig but I do really love his Bond. I think he does a really good job of being playful as Bond, too, which I really appreciate. And number one is Timothy Dalton. And I think the reason why Timothy Dalton is my favorite is because I really love his films a lot. And because Timothy Dalton is the one Bond, and I'm just going to say this, that I understand why women would throw themselves at him. Like, <laughs> that man is so attractive and his eyes and his voice, just perfect. All right, Sam. Tell us why we're all wrong. I just want... So there are two things. One, I have coerced Tessa in no way. I did not know what her Bond ranking was until just now. Ours is the same. Wow. Which leads me to my second point. If you go back and listen to Nigel's list 
and you assume that Roger Moore is below Timothy Dalton because he didn't even make the list. If you remove Timothy Dalton from Nigel's ranking and move him to the top, we have the exact same ranking. Everything else was the same. That's pretty freaky now. Isn't that fun? So I'm the rogue here, is what that's, you're telling me. That's right. So, so at the end of the day, while Nigel was the most incorrect, what? you were the most consistently incorrect. <laughs> Which Fair. brings us to the top five. All right, you heard past me. There are only five more movies to go. You know which ones, but do you know which order they're in? Come back tomorrow for the last installment of Monkey Off My Backlog's series on James Bond. There are no more episodes after the next one, I promise. Tune in tomorrow. In the meantime, you can find Nigel on Twitter and links to her cavalcade of podcasts at Spicy Nigel. You can find Elise on Twitter at Elise underscore Tendi and her Deep Space Nine podcast on Twitter at PodWraiths. Tessa is on Twitter at Tessa. Be sure to listen to Tessa and Nigel's brand new podcast, Nanny Ogg's Book Club. Find out more about that on Twitter at Nanny's Book Club. Finally, you can find me on Twitter at Sam underscore Morris 9. Send us your thoughts about the rankings we talked about today, what pop culture you've crossed off your list lately, what you'd like for us to talk about on future episodes, or anything else that comes to mind. Find us on Twitter and Instagram at MonkeyBacklog. Check out our brand new website, monkeyoffmybacklog.com. Email us at monkeyoffmybacklog at gmail.com. Our theme song is Hot Shot by Scott Holmes and can be found on scottholmesmusic.com. Please rate, review, and subscribe on iTunes. Follow us on Spotify, Stitcher, Amazon Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Get that monkey off your back.